0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 158, and we are recording on November 27th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Yo, it's our holiday episode. Yeah. Oh, holiday. I'm Madonna. That's
1: my <laughs> Once we're done recording this, I'm going to go eat more pumpkin pie. It feels very That's apropos. <laughs> That's good. Yes, very good. Um, we will continue to answer your
0: holiday recommendation questions throughout the rest of, you know, December and stuff. But um, this is the all holiday questions all the time episode specifically. So
1: there you go. What are you reading? I just finished How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemisin which is her short story collection it's so good it's so good I was so excited to I mean no so um, I told this story in the Swords and Spaceships newsletter but I'll tell it briefly again back before she was like you know a triple Hugo winner and I was in New York she was part of a group reading at the bookstore I worked at and she read a story called Non-Zero Probabilities and I was like Oh my god this story is so amazing cuz it was urban fantasy and I had ne- I had read the Dreamblood duology and I think the Inheritance trilogy at that point but like she, you know, that's not like, she doesn't really do urban fantasy yet in novel form. So I was so mm-hmm. excited. And she just kind of looked at me and she's like, that story's from like 2009. <laughs> it was a Hugo nominee. And I was like, oh, I'm out of the loop. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, but like, she was, I think she was just like, you know, she was like, oh, uh, uh, it was so funny. <laughs> pat, pat, pat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, pat, pat. Um, but that story is in the collection and it was so exciting to read it again. And there were a bunch of new ones and there's, like a short story that's set in the dreamblood world and there was a short mm. story that's set in the broken earth world and then there's all these other ones and there's one that's just about like fictional trains in New York City it's just it's just great I mean I knew it was gonna be great and like but I've been kind of reading it real slowly over the past uh, month or so mm. and it was so good so what about you I uh, picture books weirdly <laughs>
0: um I've been reading picture books for like for all week because um, I'm a member on a committee uh, whatever for a charity called girls of summer in Richmond, where every year we go to the public library and highlight, like, I think it's 25, um, books by women about like excellent girls uh, from picture book age up to YA. Um, and every member of the committee picks five books for that year. And you know, then we like invite girls from the community and give out books. And it's, it's like a really good time. Um, and have like a special author come and talk to the kids about writing and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I never pick picture books because I don't I don't read them. Like I don't mm. read the picture books. So I've been reading all of the picture books that the other committee members have picked because like I should know what these are about. And they're nice. all adorable. Like they're just,
1: you know, adorable. I, I have no other way to describe them. Picture books are good. I should read more pictures. Um you should send me your short list so I can get them for my niece.
0: Okay. Oh yes. Yes. Very mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. that is gonna happen. Okay. Yay. Um, great. So, how the show works. As I mentioned, this is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. So, you can send us your reading recommendation requests directly uh, via uh, via 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 email at getbooked at or you can drop your question in the form um, that's in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, like my book club is tomorrow and I need a pick, uh, or something like that, please put it in big letters at the top of the question if you're using the form. If you're using the email, um, then put it in the subject line, please. We might email you back, uh, which is why we ask for your email address if you're using the form. Um, Specifically, if we're not going to get to your question in time or if we've already answered it, we'll probably email you back. Otherwise, we will get to it on the show. Okay, that is how the show works. We don't have any feedback for you this week. Is that just because I didn't look it up? sorry we might have feedback we might have a lot of feedback next week (laughs) um whoops the doodle it's fine moving on okay jen's gonna read our first question i will tell you about our first sponsor and then away we will go
1: All right. The first question is from Emily who says, I'm looking for a book recommendation for my friend. She has been going through complicated, heartbreaking separation and has had a tough few years. She's always been an avid reader and recently mentioned to me that she thinks she'd like to read a sweet, hopeful love story. I really want to find her something like this for Christmas. Originally, I suggested When Temple Met Rishi and the Kiss Quotient to her, but she's older than I am and I don't know how much she would enjoy YA, and I don't think she'd go for a true romance novel. One of her favorite books is Practical Magic. She also loves Kate Morton books, historical fiction, and classics. Please, could you suggest a heartwarming love story for my friend, bonus points for historical fiction, or witches? Witches.
0: Um, Okay. (laughs) Our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio. Holiday seasons are generally happier with audiobooks, so go ahead and find your story. You can celebrate the holidays this year with books they incorporate really easy easily into all aspects of holiday prep set up a Christmas tree listen to an audiobook if you're cooking you know for your holiday dinner you can listen to an audiobook listen throughout your house uh, with your family in the living room while you're cooking or baking for a party in the bedroom while you're hiding from your relatives because oh my god be <laughs> quiet leave me alone and give me five minutes pace not like I've ever felt those feelings and of course road trips to go uh, see your friends and family uh, are perfect for audiobooks. So Penguin Random House Audio offers a few listening suggestions for each room and then leaks out to a larger collection, like suggestions for each room of your house. So if you're in the kitchen cooking, here are suggestions. If you're hiding in your bedroom, here are suggestions. It's mostly just Brene Brown. Um, And if you're like, you know, in the living room decorating, suggestions for that too. So give yourself the gift of audiobooks. They've got bestsellers. I mentioned Brene Brown, Debbie McComber etc. Family favorites like Harry Potter, The Magic Tree House, which if you're going on a road trip with your kids, those would be really great picks. So go find your recommendations at penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book riot. Alrighty. Hiding from your family in the bedroom. So my pick for this question is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. And I picked this one because your friend um, you said she likes classics and historical fiction. And this is historical fiction. It's not a classic, but I have a feeling it's probably going to be, you know, it gave me very like secret garden feelings, and I don't mm. I don't know why. like it's it takes place on this island of Guernsey and it's very rugged in nature and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's not Victorian. It's right after World War II, but i got I got similar kind of vibes. So um, this has a romance. It is heartwarming. It is about a little bit about a Nazi, though. so like it's not, all sweetness and light there is a bit of a dark undercurrent to the story but it is ultimately like hopeful and about how life love triumphs and all of that kind of stuff so it's about a a woman named Juliet in London who uh, lives in London in the 40s right after World War II has ended and she's a writer and she's looking for like a book to write she can't figure out what she wants to write about Um, and then she discovers she gets a letter from a man she's never met who lives on this island of Guernsey through a series of coincidences Um, and they begin exchanging letters and he she gets drawn into this story that he's telling her about how Guernsey was um, an island off the coast of England that was occupied by the Nazis during the war and how him and his friends and the people who lived on the island had to create this book club that they call the Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society as like an alibi for the reasons why they were out at night and breaking the curfew. And so she goes to this island to hear more about that story. And while she's there, um, she learns about a relationship between a woman who lived on the island and one of the Nazi soldiers who, were, who was occupying and like the effects that that relationship had on everybody else who lived there. And um, Juliet herself and the man who originally wrote her might have a little bit of a something something going on. Uh, so it's very like nostalgia and I think would be a great read for right around the holidays. So it's the Guernsey Literary and Pota- Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. Bonus, just came out on Netflix as an adaptation. So you can go. Oh,
1: it. Mm-hmm.
0: have you watched it yet? I have not. It's one of those things where it's like, I read this book 10 years ago and it yeah. occupies a nice warm fuzzy space in my heart and I kind of don't want to mess with it. yeah. So I still it.
1: haven't read it because it was so, you know, like books were it was so big that I didn't need to, mm. like it didn't need any help. So I didn't bother. Um, one day maybe. Um, okay, I'm really excited for this question because I have a heartwarming story with a romance and historical fiction and witches. It is <laughs> The Witches of New York by Amy McKay, um, which comes with a trigger of warning for violence against women. Um, but I will just tell you that the bad guy gets his due. Um, this is a Gilded Age New York story about three women... Who, through sort of different like machinations of fate, end up all working together? Two of them own a tea shop that is also sort of like you know an apothecary slash fortune telling slash witchy place. And, um, the third one is a young woman named Beatrice who shows up one day wanting to work at the tea shop. They've placed an ad for a shop assistant and she wants to be the apprentice. And Eleanor, who is one of the owners, is like a true sort of herbal witch, um, And Adelaide, her business partner, is a seer, although she's also, like, she grew up sort of in the circus and, like, thinks of herself mostly as a con woman. She kind of doesn't want to see herself as, like, having real powers, even though she does, um, because her life has been really negatively impacted by people's beliefs about witches, um, that, like, they are, you know... In Congress with Satan, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so because this is Guilted Age New York, there is a preacher who's, like, getting progressively more aggressive about, you know, like, agitating around witchcraft and has all these followers. And then he starts to kidnap young women um, and, like, believes that he's going to save their souls um, from witchcraft, et cetera. You can imagine how great that goes. Um, <laughs> And so these women all sort of join forces to try to – basically they're just trying to live their lives. But that means that they are set up against these sort of, you know, rabble-rousing fundamentalist forces arrayed against them. So there's like – there's some action, but really it's it's like a beautiful story about women supporting each other and like finding their way in the world and sisterhood and like owning your own identity. And there are multiple strands of romances. Some um, And one in particular I think will really speak to your friend. It's a really sweet story. Um, it's two very prickly characters who don't think they're going to ever find love again. So that's wonderful. Um, and yeah, it's just like there, there's like a great trauma triumph at the end. And it's so atmospheric. You know, you feel like you're there in this era of New York. There's a storyline that revolves around the importing of this obelisk into Central Park and that like that is there. Um, So like next time your friend is in New York, she could go look at it like it's Cleopatra's needle. It's in Central Park. Um, So the book, you know, really combines all of these different elements really wonderfully. And I just loved it so much. I read it for the first time this year and I'm just obsessed. So again, that's The Witches of New York by Amy McKay.
0: All right. Question two is from Liza, who says, I love your podcast. Uh, For holiday presents this year, I'm gifting basically everyone in my family with books, as we are a family of avid readers. I'm pretty good with picking out books for everyone except my brother. Lately, we have also gotten into some heated debates regarding feminism. I was hoping you could give some suggestions for a nonfiction book that addresses feminism and is backed by lots of cold, hard facts in a not-too-aggressive way, if possible. I'm hoping a book will get him to open his mind more to the struggles still facing women." Okay, does he watch the news? Never mind, I'm not gonna. Okay, um, so my pick for you is Life's Work, A Moral Argument for Choice by Dr. Willie Parker. And I picked this because, first of all, it's by a man, so that might ease the way a little bit for uh, a reader who is a dude who is like not very open-minded about feminism. And um, I also picked it because... Dr. Parker is an abortion provider in the Deep South. He's a traveling abortion provider in Mississippi and Alabama, um, and he's one of the only abortion providers left in the Deep South. Um, but he was raised as an evangelical Christian in a pretty fundamentalist household. And so his journey from that background to being a, an abortion provider, um, I think, might be eye-opening for somebody who doesn't think feminism is necessary anymore, perhaps, because since he's in the South, although these things are happening everywhere, um, Dr. Parker talks a lot about the... New wave of anti-abortion activism, which is happening, you know, right now, which isn't so much about terrorism and shooting abortion providers, though that is still happening, um, but is more about making small changes in legislation that make it harder and harder and harder for women to have access to abortion health care. Um, so things like, you know, ab- abortion providing Buildings where abortions are performed need to have a cert- hallways that are a certain width, uh, which are, you know, completely bogus. And they're the things, the hoops that the doctors have to jump through um, in order to not get their facilities shut down. They're all very obviously nonsense that are designed to prevent women from having access to healthcare. But these are, you know, very real. They're very purposeful um, and malicious legislation that's being passed mostly by male government officials in order to keep women from having control over their own bodies. So if you're looking for like cold, hard, here's legislation, you can Google it, you know, um, active, like active ways that men are making life harder for women, marginalizing women, taking away women's control of their bodies, then there you have it. And it's coming from a really, um, empathetic and understanding perspective again because dr parker comes from an evangelical background where abortion wasn't really discussed uh and certainly wasn't okay and premarital sex wasn't okay any of the things that could lead to abortion not okay um so he he gets it you know um but his mind was changed by you know talking to women occasionally so i think that might be a good in for somebody who is closed off to that kind of perspective so that's life's work by willie parker
1: I also picked a book by a man because I do think I agree with Amanda. If a guy is, you know, believing that he, this is not real, the best place to start is from another guy. Um, And uh, a contributor recommended a brief history of misogyny, the world's oldest prejudice by Jack Holland. And I think this is like ideal for what you are looking for because it is a history, like history, like centuries worth of history. Uh, looking at misogyny. So, you know, examining like the church and witch hunts and, you know, Nazism and pro-life campaigners and, you know, the current situation around the world. Um, And it's full of research and facts. And it, it like, you know, is really looking at how this is not just like, oh, it's not just about abortion or it's not just about, you know, the Me Too movement. Like it's about so much more. It's about like systemic deliberate, long running decisions by people in power to try to suppress women and women's rights. And so I think that's one of the things that I found is hardest to convince men of who haven't like really listened to them. Like, oh, it's just like this current like, oh, you know, it's current Hollywood stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a system. This is a long running system. And it has its roots really far back, which is why it's so it's not just about like, you know, one woman getting to have equal pay or one woman getting to have abortion rights like it's about all women throughout the ages and what the systems have like led to in today so this is our all it's like the roots and not just the symptoms that's what I'm trying to say so I think that can maybe help give him a much bigger overview than just like the current political headlines um, and and hopefully that will help shed some light on how we are in the situation we are in today so again that's a brief history of misogyny the world world's oldest prejudice by Jack Holland. And I want I should also note this book came out in 2006. So like it's not going to be include things like the Me Too movement which is, you know, maybe good, maybe bad, but whatever. It's like it's 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 a little bit older, but still very very worthwhile. Okay, next question is from Beth who says, I'm planning a trip to Egypt this Christmas 2018 to get my fill of the sights there. Can you recommend some books, both fiction and non, that will help whet my appetite for my trips? I'm open to all stages of Egyptian history. I've already read the whole Elizabeth Peter's Amelia Peabody mysteries a couple of times and love them. I would prefer to avoid dry, boring histories and accounts for something a bit engaging, especially as I tend to read to relax and don't want to have to think too much. Bonus points for anything easily available by ebook or audiobook as I live in a country where libraries and bookstores with English books are limited in selection. Amanda, what you got?
0: Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I missed the audiobook ebook part. Um, anyway, I will find out if it's available on audiobook. If it is, it's going to be super long. So I picked for you The Memoirs of Cleopatra by Margaret George, which is hefty. It's about 1,200 pages uh, in paperback and is exactly what it sounds like, Memoirs of Cleopatra. It is written from... Cleopatra's point of view like in her own voice and just talks about her life like it starts when she's 20 I think and is um getting involved in a relationship with Julius Caesar and then follows her throughout her life until she dies (laughs) I mean like that's no spoiler we all know what happens to Cleopatra she dies because it was ancient Egypt so they're all dead at this point um but I think that if you're going somewhere um if you're going somewhere like Egypt which has this sweeping ancient history that's older than anything people in the West can like even start to conceive of um, something big and chunky and really in depth um, that you can dive into and like swim around in, I think is like a really good uh, way to prepare yourself for going somewhere that that, that is that, I don't know, almost heady is, is kind of what I'm trying to say. Like Egypt has weight, like that's got some weight. Um, and so this book is great in as much as it, you know, it's so long and it's got such detailed, um, kind of storytelling and world building about her life in Egypt and the, politi- the political machinations that were going on in the area at the time. Um, but it's also just like the story of this super ambitious, really um, em- like powerful, emotional, passionate woman who was in a tough spot for a woman um, at that time. Honestly, that would be a tough spot for a woman now, but especially, you know, in a time when female rulers were not... Looked upon in the same way as male Rulers. Um, so, if you've got time to dedicate to 1,200 pages of
1: Egyptian historical
0: fiction, then I think that that is a great pick. I am
1: right now. I, I was just going to say, I looked it up. Do you want to guess how long the audiobook is? There is one 40 hours. It's 49 hours and 55 yes. minutes.
0: It's yeah. 50 All right. Well, look, you can
1: occupy yourself
0: on that plane, okay? <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's big. Anyway, still, that's my pick, still. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Um, I picked a book that I'm in the middle of reading right now and I'm obsessed with also. It is The Map of Love by Ahdaf uh, Suif, I believe is how you say that. Um, and it is so good. Oh, my gosh. So she, this author, this book was a book list, Booker Prize finalist, which is great. Um, and uh, and it, I can see why. Um, and, like, the author has been compared to, like, Tolstoy and Flaubert and George Eliot and I like like I agree with that but also like it makes it sound kind of dry and she is such an engaging writer. Um and this book is so atmospheric and I it, and it's so great to like have an Egyptian author telling a story like this. Um so, it's about two women in two different timelines. Um, there's a 1900 timeline about an English woman named Anna Winterborne, who is a widow. And in the course of her sort of education and growing up, she has been really interested in Egypt for a long time. And so, when her husband dies, she goes to Egypt um, because she no longer has anything sort of keeping her in England. And this is, of course, in the middle of, you know, Britain, the occupation of Egypt, and like, are they going to get home? rule like there's all of this stuff going on. Um and then she falls in love with an Egyptian man and um marries him. And uh, like in the 2000s timeline, there's an a young journalist named Isabel who finds this sort of trunk of like family heirlooms that uh send her to Egypt to find out the source of this, you know, these the provenance of these items and you, you learn, you know, that Isabel is a descendant, of, you know this family and and the two timelines sort of weave together in really amazing ways um, and it's so well written it flows so beautifully like I'm just totally it's got that historical fiction feel where you just get lost in it but then there's this great his, contemporary timeline as well and you get to see Egypt in these two very different moments in its history um, and, and as part of her research Isabel ends up traveling outside of Cairo a lot of the story takes place in and around Cairo but she's also So traveling outside of Cairo, you know, to this village that's part of the family uh, history as well. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm about, uh, I'm almost halfway and I just kind of never want this book to end. Like, I just want to read this book for the rest of my life currently. It's so good. Um, Anna has just met the man who, you know, like, it's not a spoiler, you know, she's going to marry him. Um, but she's just met him and you're sort of seeing their, uh, relationship unfolding in this like 1900s way. And it's so, oh, it's so satisfying. It's really good. Um, so I think this will give you both a sense of the history of Egypt, the political history of Egypt. Egypt, and, you know, a little bit of the contemporary vibe. Um, And again, that's The Map of Love by Ahdaf Soif.
0: All right, question four is from Kim. This is a twofer. Uh, The first request is for a friend of mine. He asked me to find some book ideas to give to his sister for Christmas. She likes, and I'm quoting, books where women move to Cornwall or whatever and open a bakery or something and maybe fall in love unquote. That is an amazing subgenre. So Thank good. You very much. Uh, she's read everything by Lucy Diamond, Jenny Colgan, and Kathy Bramley. Uh, he wants to find her something new, possibly someone with a big catalog of books for her to keep reading. Uh, the second is for me. Last year, you recommended Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe, I think in your Jane Austen episode, and it was the last book I read in 2017. I loved it, and it was the perfect light end to a Christmas read. It was my first Christmas contemporary romance, and I'm hoping you can find me another. Jane Austen connection is welcome, but not necessarily... Not necessary. I normally read Regency romances, so that's fine too. Just something light and Christmassy to close off my year. Okay. Um...
1: Jen, why don't you go first? Because you got the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so books where women move to Cornwall and open a bakery. <laughs> That's so great. I want to move to Cornwall <laughs> and open a bakery or something. I mean, same, same. <laughs> Amanda, should we just move to Cornwall? And bye, open guys. Bye. bye. <laughs> um, okay, so I picked Bring On the Blessings by Beverly Jenkins, which is the first book in her blessings series. I was thinking about this, and um, I was trying to find something a little off to the side because like she she has read every all of the obvious ones. Um and and I thought Beverly Jenkins would be great because not only does she write contemporaries exactly like this, but she also writes historical romance and they're so good. They take place a lot of them in the American West. And um so like Beverly Jenkins has a huge catalog. So if she likes this one, there's so much more. Um so Bring on the Blessings is about a woman named Bernadine Brown. She is 52 and and she catches her husband, Leo cheating with his secretary. So she is like, well, okay. And she lawyers up and ends up getting almost like $300 million in a settlement. Cause her husband is rich. Um, And so she's like, oh, like, you know, she has a nice life and she wants to continue having a nice life. But she's like, what am I going to do with this money? And then she sees an ad in the paper or on TV that this town in Kansas called Henry Adams has put itself up for sale on the Internet because the town is failing. There's like 60 people who live there. But it's historic. It was one of the first town's. Uh, founded by, or it was a town founded by freed slaves after the Civil War, Um, and it's one of the last surviving towns like that, and so, and she's a black woman, she feels some, you know, like, resonance with this, so she decides that she's going to buy the town. She's also, her profession is she's a social worker, and so she then decides, like, What better thing to do with her new town than to start like finding homes for foster kids who are being failed by the system and finding families who want to move to this town that's dying and like help revitalize it and also take in foster kids, which is like a huge thing, right? Like this is a big deal. And so you get her perspective and she's so matter of fact and like kind of sassy and just very much like, well, I'm going to do like, I have all this money and I'm going to do something good with it. And like, I'm just going to make this happen. And then you get some of the town folks perspectives and some of them are super on board with this and some of them are super not. Um, And it's, I'm like, it's just so much fun. I'm just at the point where um, they've started to bring in the foster kids. And like one of them is like an 11 year old car thief because he likes to go fast Um, and another one is a girl who's been on the streets for a long time Um, and another one is this like you know like little like boy who is just like can't seem to find a home for no obvious reason yet Um, and so it's all of these different kids and you're getting you know sort of like how is this you're like oh how is this all going to work out but you know it's gonna because it's that kind of book the only thing I will say about this book is that like it's a little bit churchy like I'm not a religious person I don't Find it overwhelming, but there is like some, ta- there's a fair amount of talk about faith in this book, um, which again, like not overwhelmingly so, and it's very, um, Liberal and progressive faith, but it is in there. Uh, so, in case that's a problem for anybody, but I just think it's so sweet and so fun, and it just is like feel good, and it, it is very funny and also very heartwarming. So, that is again, bring on the blessings, which is the first in the blessings series by Beverly Jenkins. And because I have read some of her historicals, these townspeople, like I, I know their or their family origin story because I've re- so it all ties yeah. into her larger body of work there's like a whole beverly jenkins universe it's great um so yeah highly recommend
0: Alrighty. um okay i picked if the fates allow which is edited by annie harper and this is a an anthology of short stories and they're all lgbtq holiday stories and it is amazing and your heart will grow three sizes maybe five sizes (laughs) i would bet five sizes and like every single story has characters that you just want to like My favorite is the first one and the first story is called Gracious Living Magazine says it has to be a live tree which is just this perfect perfect (laughs) little short story about a guy named Marcus who really really wants to make his first Christmas with his new boyfriend like completely perfect and he gets involved with this like group of local retired women who just, like, sit around gossiping, solving other people's problems, who call themselves the do-nothings club, and so he finds out that, like, his boyfriend has maybe bought him a ring, so maybe he's going to be proposed to, so he gets, like, completely obsessed with making Christmas perfect, and everything falls apart, but in this really nice way. It's just adorable. It's just adorable. Um, And uh, there's there's one about a librarian. Just, I love
1: it so much. Um, So, yeah, warm your heart. Grow it three sizes. Five (laughs) sizes.
0: That's If the Fates Allow by Annie Harper.
1: All right, it is time for our second sponsor, which is Book Riot Insiders, Jess Hands. Whoa, whoa. Um, you can bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders when you sign up for either a monthly or a yearly novel subscription. The first 14 days are free, so that's a nice little gift to give to yourself. Uh, when you get in there, you will be able to wish list upcoming releases that you're dying to read. You can get exclusive podcasts and newsletters. There's swag drawings every month. And the new release index, which is the big shiny, uh, which gives helps you keep track of all of the upcoming new releases, as you would assume, is curated by all the books host Liberty Hardy. So that is just chock full of goodness. So come on in. Your bag of bush, bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. All right. Question five is from Kate, who says, in episode 147, you recommended River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey, which I bought for my boyfriend immediately because he loves hippos. Uh, anyhow, he's obsessed with the book. He's almost finished. I actually bought American Hippo so he can read the whole series, and he can't stop talking about it. For Christmas, we are getting each other a book and chocolate instead of traditional gifts. I'm nervous because I hid it so out of the park on this book that any other book may be a letdown. Can you help recommend another fun rump of a book? It doesn't have have to have hippos he's into thrillers adventures fantasy sci-fi he loves Neil Gaiman and Murakami and he mainly gravitates towards shorter books and graphic novels um okay I'm just gonna keep talking I think your next pick is also another in the Tor novella series it's Murderbot by Martha Wells. Uh, The Murderbot Diaries is the series and All Systems Red is the first one. Uh, There are currently four out and there will be a fifth. And um, you can get, like, I think the first four books are in a collection, I want to say, if you don't want to just get the one shorty one. But they are short. Like, it's it's kind of perfect for what he's looking for. And these are sci-fi. They take place in a spacefaring future where corporations are sort of in charge of space expeditions. And, excuse me, there's this one expedition that is going to survey a new planet. And the corporation has assigned a, you know, jokingly referred to as Murderbot, a, like, security android to the team. And the whole story is told from the perspective of this security android who has become self-aware and hacked its own programming so that it doesn't actually technically have to listen to the humans but it doesn't want anybody to know um, like it doesn't want to cause any trouble it doesn't want to take over it's not Skynet like it just wants to like like it's really obsessed with human drama so it basically just wants to watch Netflix like in its downtime and not be bothered um, and of course that doesn't happen because hijinks ensue there's maybe something funky Going on on this planet, and the droid has to protect its people and decide. Like, you know, it gets put in this position where it has to decide, like, how far can it go, and like how how does it how does it deal with these people who also have a complication complicated relationship to it? Um, it's very complicated. It's really great. It's so funny. It is just so funny because Murderbot, as it refers to itself, is such a dry narrator and like you just feel you're like oh I just want to like like Murderbot would not like a hug but like I want to like air hug Murderbot <laughs> <laughs> Murderbot would not like a hug, um, so true. no would not just not want to be hugged um, and so yeah it's really enjoyable there's like I said there's a bunch in this series now um, but they're all novella sized so like 150 pages ish and I think that if the, like the same kind of sense of humor and like you know there's some action and there's this sci-fi or fantasy setting, but it's really, like, about the voice of the characters, which is what I think makes uh, A River of Teeth so great, is definitely also going on in the Murderbot Diaries. So again, the first one is All Systems Red. It's the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells.
0: I picked Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest, which is another kind of really fun adventure sci-fi steampunky kind of book. Um, it takes place right in the early days of the civil war, it's like an alternate history of the civil war. Uh, and in this, um, kind of version, (laughs) um, There's, you know, gold has been found in the Pacific Northwest. Gold has been found in Alaska. And Russian prospectors who want to get there to Alaska. I can see Alaska from my house. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Uh, Russian (laughs) prospectors who want to get there first hire a doctor, um, an inventor named Leviticus Blue, to create a machine that can mine through Alaska's ice to get to the gold. And he lives in Seattle with his family. Um, But on its first test run, he calls this machine the Bone Shaker. On its first test run... Everything goes really, really badly. It, like, destroys a big chunk of downtown Seattle, and it opens up a vein of natural gas that, when you breathe it in, turns you into a zombie. So that takes place. And then 16 years later is where most of the book is happening. And you're following the perspective of Briar, Briar Wilkes, who is um, Leviticus's widow. And she is trying to survive with her teenage son, Ezekiel. Um, Of course, her reputation is completely in tatters because her husband destroyed the city and made people into zombies, which is not awesome. Um, and so nobody cuts her any slack. She's got a really tough time of it. And then Ezekiel decides he's gonna go into downtown Seattle, which has been walled off, like, with this giant wall. Um, but people still live there somehow, defending themselves from the zombies. Um, he's gonna go into Seattle and, you know, clear his father's name. Like, obviously this was an accident, this kid thinks, when Briar thinks that her husband was using the bone shaker to try to, like, rob a bank that was down the street. So she has to go in after him into this city, this walled off city full of gas you can't breathe and zombies who want to eat you and people who don't like or trust her um, for obvious reasons and not so obvious reasons, mostly just because she's like an outsider who's come beyond the wall. Uh, And so there it's, you know, zombies, there's lots of zombies. There also are also because it's steampunk airships and on the airships are air pirates, which is always a good time. Um, And, (laughs) you know, criminals who are some of whom, you know, are like the criminal with a heart of gold trope, which I really enjoy. Like just down here trying to survive. It's very Dickensian. Um, it's not the book is not Dickensian. It's fun and short. It is not Dickensian, but that trope is Dickensian. Um, and it's the first in a series that Sherry Priest has written about this period of time. Um, you know, steampunk, Civil War, zombies. It's just a good time. So that's Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest.
1: It is alrighty.
0: Question six is from MJ, who says, I need some help getting a book for my husband for Christmas. We're avid readers, and we started a new tradition last year that on Christmas Eve, we give each other a book and spend the night reading and
1: eating chocolate. Is this the second chocolate question? Yeah, it is. <laughs> is this like a thing that's happening out in the world I, that isn't I don't know it about? Like a, It's like a Scandinavian tradition, right, oh. to do a book in chocolate. I can't remember what's called, but I know this is a thing. Well, that's awesome. I would like to implement
0: that. Good times. Okay. Um, He loves high fantasy and grimdark stories, which are a bit out of my wheelhouse. He loves Brandon Sanderson's The Stormlight Archive and has read Everything by Brian McKellen and Mark Lawrence. He also recently read Patrick Rothfuss' Kingkiller Chronicles and loved that. He's enjoyed The Magician's Trilogy and Ready Player One, neither of which are grimdark, obviously. I'd like to get him something that he maybe hasn't heard of that will really knock his socks off. Okay, I'll keep going. Um, I picked Certain Dark Things by Sylvia... Moreno Garcia which is a grim dark fantasy novel that takes place in Mexico City and it is amazing the cover is beautiful that doesn't have anything to do with the book but it is an amazing story that i feel like nobody knows about except for you know the, the us <laughs> but i don't think that he'll have heard of this at all so it takes place in Mexico City which is kind of this um you know vampires exist and have overrun the world and Mexico City is kind of maybe a little bit of an oasis and the main character's name is Domingo and he's this really lonely, jaded street kid. He's just trying to survive. He like collects trash. Um, and while he's like going about his business one day, a vampire named Otto discovers him and thinks, you know, this guy looks especially yummy. <laughs> um, and she is a descendant of Aztec blood drinkers of Aztec vampires. Um, and she needs to, you know like prey on youth to survive. So she starts going after this kid, and the kid, Domingo, is, like, super into it. She's beautiful. She's dangerous. She's trying to get out of South America to escape this, like, narco-vampire gang that's after her. Um, and her plan, of course, doesn't include getting emotionally involved with her food, because that's what she thinks of this little kid is. Um, she does have a dog, which is amazing. I and, love but the dog. She, <laughs> I have the Doberman, yeah. yeah. Um, she finds herself, like... G- g- Getting to like him, which is weird for her. She's lived all of these years, and this hasn't really happened to her before, but she finds herself finding him very charming. She starts warming up to him. While all of this is happening and they're trying to get out of the city, there's a cop named Anna who is finds herself, like, in the middle of this vampire gang rivalry thing. So it's, it's super dark. It's pretty violent. Um... If he likes that kind of grim, dark, noirish sort of thing in a speculative fiction package, then I think this is right up his alley. So that's Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia.
1: I picked The Traitor Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, which is the first in the Masquerade series and is the darkest thing I have read this year, I'm pretty sure yes I'm pretty sure that's right uh, trigger warnings for this book include institutionalized homophobia, torture assault and just basically all of the thing. it's terrible um, but it's really like if you like Grimdark this book does it so well and then also does something that I'm still trying to exactly define um, it's about a young woman named Baru Cormorant as you might have guessed from the title who grow up grew up on this island that has now been in the course of her life absorbed into this much larger empire called the masquerade um and they they have taken over economically. Like, they didn't come with occupying troops. They came with schools and medicine and currency and trade and all of this stuff. But then, you know, once they gain a foothold, they, have, they insidiously sort of overwhelm. They unleash, like, diseases on the population. And then they absorb it into their empire. And basically, the, her entire way of life has been destroyed. And she has been sort of selected by a trader, trade, trader, C um, T R A D E R. Who is clearly a man of power to go to this special school. Like she, just, like, seems like a good thing at the time. She's going to go to the special school. She's being groomed because she has a, she's a bit of a savant when it comes to math and particularly like economics and like accounting basically. Um, And so she starts to understand what has happened to her home. And she decides that like, she's going to bring down the empire using her skills from the inside. Um, like her whole goal is to get to an, a position of enough power inside the system that she can sort of avenge her home and her family. Um, and she, which means that she needs to go along and do things that like maybe perpetuate the exact same thing that happened to her on other populations. For example, she gets appointed to a post in this other, you know, place called Ardwin which is in the midst of like an an uprising. And and she ends up like you know, getting involved in this uprising. And the whole book you're just like like you can't breathe. You're like what is she going to do? And like wh- and you know why she's doing it and you it's like it's really it's one of those anti-hero books where you're like oh, like I just don't know how I feel about what you're doing and I understand why you're doing it, but Oh God, don't do these things. And it's so intense. It's really dark. Um, it's really, really, really dark. Like this and the poppy war by RF Quang Mm. are actually, I take it back. That might be that. That's another good one for this. Um, I will put that in the show notes too. But yeah, these two books, like they have this anti-heroine who you see her doing these things and you know exactly why she's doing them. And you're just like, Oh God, don't do it. Um, and it's really intense. They're amazing. Both of these books are amazing. But they will, like, it, they're heartbreaking and gut-punching. And they, they do not care. Like, they, they're just like, here's all the gross violence that people can perpetrate against each other. And, like, here's why. We know it's bad, but, like, here it is. Uh, so I think this definitely fits the bill. Um, so, again, that's The Traitor Baruch Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. And then also The Poppy War by R.F. Quang. Okay, last question is from Rebecca, with a K N and an H, <laughs> who says, my husband told me that for Christmas this year, this is the husband show is also what this is. Yeah, uh, husband's and chocolate. <laughs> um, my husband told me that for Christmas this year, he wants books. He specifically asked for a series that has at least three books already published. The longer, the better. He doesn't read as often as I do, but when he does, he can tear through books slash series very quickly. So when I say long, I mean long. He's really into high fantasy, especially Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan, and Terry Goodkind he also likes sci-fi and other types of of fantasy Um, I I bought him the Darker Shade of Magic series which he devoured I would like to introduce him to a new to him author and series that maybe expands his horizon a little bit ideally something not written by a white man and with main characters who are not white men Amanda husbands really like Patrick Rothman and, Brandon, <laughs> and Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson. yes.
0: Is this, like, a, is this a thing? It's, anyway, like, no. instead of,
1: like, the dad books, those are, like, the husband books. Is that yes, a thing? Yes, husband books.
0: Brandon Sanderson. Husband books. Yes. Okay. Um, I picked The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, which is the first book in the Dandelion Dynasty. And this is a bit of a cheat because you were asking for, like, three books already published. The third book in this one comes out next year. So, but they're super long and I feel like maybe they'll occupy him long enough. The first one is, like, 700 pages. Um, and the second one is also... There's long. There's big, long high fantasy. Would you call these silk punk? uh,
1: I would, yeah. Uh, yeah. He has said that, yeah, they're silk punk. Mm -hmm. Okay, because there are, like, there are
0: airships. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say silk punk high fantasy. So um, this is an Asian-inspired high fantasy novel about two rebels who overthrow uh, an emperor. Um, And the emperor is, uh, when the book opens, it's a very, like, colonialist kind of situation where the emperor um, took the throne and then decided that his empire needed to expand to all surrounding nations and it has done that and so you are following two rebels one of whom kuni is like this almost like a trickster kind of figure he's a bandit he's i don't know like halfway in it for the fun and the daring and the bravery he's very charming and wily and you know that kind of thing uh and then the other character is named mata who's the son of a who uh, is the son of a character who was a duke but has since been deposed since the you know colonialism has happened um and he is very stoic and super tall and scary and imposing and gets his way because people are like i feel like that man will maybe murder me in my sleep and put a horse head in my bed that kind of a character we're like Broke's no nonsense and they become best friends unexpectedly because they're completely different in this uprising against the emperor and they have all you know this series of adventures there's fighting armies and there's airships and gods who are shapeshifters and all this kind of stuff and then once the emperor gets overthrown they find themselves at odds about what to do next like what does justice look like now that the emperor is gone and we have to actually rebuild all of our countries Um, and they want to go about doing these things in really different kind of ways and it's got that game of thrones sort of political intrigue lots of plots and side characters happening all at the same time You don't really know who to root for because everybody's a little messed up, which is my favorite kind of character because that's how humans are. Um, And (laughs) it'll just keep you going right into the next one. So that's The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu.
1: I want to give a shout out to N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, which are all out and all won a Hugo, which is unprecedented. Um, But we've recommended her a lot. So I wanted to give you another option. And it's also actually what I've recommended more than once. But here we are. It's the Acacia series by David Anthony Durham. It is exactly what you are asking for. It is high fantasy. It is like international stakes. It's magic. It's swords. It's political machinations. Um, And it is by David Anthony Durham. He is... Is an author of caribbean descent and there are what i love about this series is it's like if game of thrones had less rape and more international you know scope mm. instead of just being like england with like the other thrown in um <laughs> that that is what this series is like it legit goes to all of these different continents and countries and regions of this imaginary world um the known world is what it's called, and it starts off in the first book, "The War with the Mine." About um, Leodin Akarin is the ruler, and he uh, has four children, and is sort of kind of doing his best um, with the situation as it is, but like he's like you know. A little bit out of it. Um, And he's also perpetuating some very deeply gross systems, including, like, you know, trafficking in children, like child slavery um, and drugs. And he believes like that he's going to change things um but also he also like feels limited by the options available to him and then he is assassinated um and the four kids are all smuggled out of the palace and sent to with different people to different corners of the world they're scattered in hopes that they will have a better chance of survival if they're separated and some of them end up with friendly people and some of them do not. And so you're following these uh, four children as they sort of have their own experiences and go on these very different journeys. And, you know, some of them are sort of hidden away and sort of have a chance to like become a person in maybe not like perfect circumstances, but like they're relatively safe. Whereas others are just like from one danger to another. Um, And you're, and you're waiting to see, like, which of them are they going to try to come home and reclaim the throne? Like, what are they learning about this empire that they didn't know because they were very sheltered? And so the books are all about this family and their interactions with this much bigger world and where their paths send them. And it's so good, man. It's so It's got all of that delicious, like, high fantasy world building. It's got male characters and female characters, all of whom have different kinds of power. Um, It's got magic and and beasties and monsters and different like religious sects. And oh, it's just so good. Um, So I I, like think it's right in his wheelhouse. And again, all three of the books are out. I think they run about 600 pages each. So they're decently long. So again, that's the Acacia series. The first book is The War with the Mind. And the author is David Anthony Durham.
0: And that's our show. Hey! Hey! Thank you all so much for listening to our holiday husbands and chocolate <laughs> ramblings. So weird. I didn't notice that when I put this agenda together that they were all husbands and chocolate. Unintentional that's- themes. Unintentional husbands and chocolate. Um, all husbands are no nope, nope nope never mind. <laughs> leave that alone. Anyway, thank you so much uh, for listening. Please leave us a rating and an review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson.
1: And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, and it's Jen with two N's IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week.